know what really makes us mad is wasting money on CDs with only one or two good songs. Yeah. Tell them about punk. What's up, posers? Welcome to Punk Lotto Pod. I'm your co-host, Justin Hensley. I'm your other co-host, Dylan Hensley. And this is the year where we choose one year at random and select one punk, hardcore, emo, or punk-adjacent album from that year to discuss. Today, we're going a little old school with our selection today. Redundant use of today. We went with the old standby for this episode. So we just wrapped up our, our summer series. We did our trilogy of summer albums, and we're going to lean. We're going to do a Skogist series next but I wanted like a week or two of just not a season, just like just doing more just randomly selected albums. And so, Dylan, you suggested that we actually go with the old school, choose something at random. So I used the old number generator and I pulled the year 1998 and then I went through and selected an album at random and uh, then was like, nah, that's not good. New number. Draw a number again. So do, immediately going back to our old like there's nothing good here. Pull a new number. Uh, and then we'll end it on the album we're talking about today. So we're close to it. Head over to our Patreon where you get access to all of our weekly bonus audio. For $1, you get to hear all the extra audio that we produce. This last week, we did a News of the World where we talk about news stories that happened recently. Uh, and then some stuff that you and I have been watching, movies and TV-wise. Which, love doing those because they're, you know, fun, easy things to put together. And a uh, lot less work to do. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, $1, all our weekly bonus audio. You also get access to the Moon Pies for Misfits video series where I try out different drinks. Uh, I haven't done one this week, so I might might be a, hmm, I'm going to find something real quick. I don't know. Let me hit a grocery store on the way home this morning in the morning. And you get access to our Discord where you join fellow listeners of the show, fellow patrons of the show, and we just talk about some fun stuff. So really good crew going on over there. Patreon.com slash PunkLottoPod. And then if you do our $10 tier, you get to choose what album we devote an entire episode to. So I've had two people uh, in the Discord mention that they plan on doing one soon. So get in the queue. Uh, there's some there's some fun ideas in there. I'm really looking forward to talking about those. So fun stuff. Yeah, so into the show we are, like I said, talking about the year 1998. And it was one of those things where I was like, okay, we we did the old format differently. And so there's less of the, well, I almost chose this and I almost chose that. There wasn't so much of that this time because it's basically like, well, what number did you pull? Go to that page where that number is and then find something on that page to talk about. And so luckily I found something pretty cool. I'm really glad we got the album that we're talking about today. Took a little convincing on your part though to, uh, we can get to it though. We'll, we'll talk about why. You were a little hesitant on this one, but so it was like, OK, well, I don't uh, I didn't really have to, like, debate albums really to choose from. So what else came out in 1998 that's like worth talking about that we haven't mentioned on the numerous times that we've talked about 1998 in the past? Yeah, that's a good question. What have we not talked about? We might have to go pretty far back in the charts to really find that stuff. <laughs> so we've definitely talked about this year a good bit. Yeah, 98, uh, we've done a handful of times just because a lot of times when I ask a guest, it's like, what decade are you interested in? A lot of people go 90s. And so then we wind up like pulling 1998 
a few times. We've done probably out of all the all the decades, we've repeated the years of the 90s more just because it's the age of the type of person that typically comes on the show, our age. And then the fact that like 90s nostalgia is really, really big right now. So everybody just wants to talk about the 90s. So we've hit it quite a few times. I guess if we're talking about important and big records, Refused, Shape of Punk to Come, massive album at the drive-ins in Casino, out, pretty important, pre-One-Armed Scissor era relationship of command. Fugazi's End Hits, which is like one of the mm, lesser Fugazi albums. Minerals in Serenading, Converge, Forever, When Forever Comes Crashing. Like These are probably the like big, bold letters albums. Frame and Canvas by Braid, you know. To a lesser extent, Orange Rhyming Dictionary by Jester Brazil. Do you do you think the Jawbreaker reunion has kind of lessened Jets to Brazil for more recent audiences? You know, people aren't like aren't as like talking about Jets to Brazil as much as they used to, as far as I can tell online. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know that Jets to Brazil had like a ton of people talking about them all the time anyway, because I feel like Jawbreaker has always been you see a Jawbreaker shirt. You don't see a Jets to Brazil shirt. Do they make shirts? <laughs> um, I don't think that you could buy a new one. You could buy an old one. Yeah. For like probably like $100 on Grailed or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what metric uh, to to measure Jets uh, to Brazil discourse <laughs> by. It seems like it's always been pretty low. Nobody's really a Jets to Brazil fan that isn't familiar with Jawbreaker. So. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like they used to get talked about more, but maybe that was also because I was on Tumblr.com way more. And that's the type of website where you're just going to be like, oh, somebody reblocked an orange driving dictionary song. Yeah. With its weird, funky wah guitar all over it. Yeah, I don't. I think I think people do still go for orange driving dictionary, but I think that's always been true for Jester Brazil. Like if people if people are like sharing a Jester Brazil song or something like that, it's going to most likely be an orange driving dictionary song. And then, like, maybe there was just a little bit of a time period there where people like you and I were like, perfecting loneliness is the one. I think we're in the minority with that, unfortunately. Yeah, I think we've always been. So there's probably not as many people that are like, I guess people aren't like going deep on Jets to Brazil, but there's not that much to go deep on. And I I don't know. I've I've definitely encountered people who were Jawbreaker fans that didn't ever really listen to Jets to Brazil, didn't really get into Jets to Brazil. Um, I can see, too, that. Orange Rhyming Dictionary was like the first new post Jawbreaker record and people were like very interested to see what Blake was up to. And then like they heard that album and they go, eh, it's not Jawbreaker. And so then they just like never continued with the rest of the Just the Brazil discography. Yeah. Which I think is unfair. Which, yeah. I mean, I guess we're probably not. I think with Jawbreaker being back, there's probably less people saying, well, I'm actually would be more interested in a just Brazil reunion because <laughs> it's not a conversation that you have anymore. Cause it's like, well, jawbreakers back. So yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not like you get to choose between the two and it seems pretty unlikely that there will ever be a just Brazil reunion because why would he, if he can just do jawbreaker <laughs> and get more money, that's where the money's at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, I don't think he's sentimental enough about just Brazil to want to go back and do that stuff either. He's like, he's not, he wasn't really ever sentimental enough to do Jawbreaker, but just, they just 
finally caved to the offers. Yeah, I think the dollar amount just got too big. <laughs> I think we're I think we're making a bad decision if we don't take the money. <laughs> yeah. For our personal lives. Like you know, and then Blake had his legal issues and which we never found out what he did, did we? Still has not come up. He um, is why was Blake in jail for a couple months, right? Never know. Never know. Never learned. Nothing ever came out. I assume it's drug related, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. 98 uh, stuff that we have. There's records by some bands we've talked about on the show, but not that record. Uh, Seam put out the pace is glacial, mm-hmm. which was their last record. Yeah, it was the last record. Yeah, there's not a lot by them. Uh, Frotus put out Conglomerate International, which we, you know, we've probably talked about that record in passing on the show before, but mm-hmm. that's the Tooth and Nail record. Was technically the last one before they broke up, though the last record, because the last record came out after they were done. God damn it, my Alkaline Trio. What is that, 25 years this year? Yeah, wild. We did do Life Won't Wait by Rancid, which they put out a new record this year. So the album we're talking about today is a... <laughs> uh, oh. before, before we get into it, uh, Freak on Ica, uh, Freak Star on Star Ica. By uh, <laughs> Girls Against Boys came out in '98. We got a little Girls Against Boys feedback. It wasn't so much feedback on the episode, but more just like feedback on uh, some of the listeners' feelings towards Girls Against Boys. And very funnily enough, there <laughs> we got a message from Brian, friend of the show. He said uh, his response was, "This band sucks." <laughs> <laughs> The first time I heard them was a CD sampler my sister got from Claire's. Man, the 90s were cool. And I was like, well, I need to know more about this Claire's CD sampler. And he actually dug it up. That's incredible. He said it was a CD sampler called AnimalHouse.com Sampler. And if you go to the Discogs page for it, it was for like some website that, that probably doesn't exist anymore. Put it out by the Universal Music Group. And listen to this. Listen to this track listing. The first song is The Crystal Method. <laughs> then it's The Black Eyed Peas in 1990. What year was this? 98 that this came out. Very fitting. Then Grinspoon. <laughs> uh, then two bands I don't know. And then Girls Against Boys had their song Roxy on there. And it's followed by a Blink-182 song, a Semisonic song, and then just some other groups that I'm unfamiliar with, too. It's just very weird to be like, Crystal Method, Black Eyed Peas, Grinspoon, Girls Against Boys, Blink-182, and Semisonic, all in the same compilation. It's just like, apparently that, that Blink-182 song was also really old at that point. Like, So they're putting like old stuff on a comp, too. The 90s were wild. I love a CD sampler from that era. They're so, they make no sense <laughs> what they put on most of those things. And then our good friend Jason, who's been on the show with us, uh, he said he saw Girls vs. Boys. That's not even their name. See, everybody gets their name wrong. <laughs> Girls against boys with jawbox and trench mouth. He said that didn't make much of an impression. <laughs> I've gone back though, and it's a weird discography, but some good stuff in there too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, the general feedback is that we've gotten is like no one's like thrilled on the band. They're like, there's some really cool stuff, and then there's some not good stuff. And yeah, it's weird. It's a weird band. It's a weird band to have gotten the push that they got. <laughs> Uh, which is, you know, a push that didn't really pan out. <laughs> so I thought 
since the album we're talking about today, uh, genre-wise, they're kind of in a weird little spot. But they're essentially metalcore, but probably leaning more like a metallic hardcore, which actually had a little bit of discussion about that on Twitter this week or a couple weeks ago, where it's just like, what's the difference between metallic hardcore and metalcore? And I think my take has always has been metallic hardcore is mostly hardcore music that has some like metallic riffing, a little bit of extra just like metal flavoring to go in, metal shavings to go in there. Whereas metalcore to me is like a metal is metal with hardcore elements to it, like breakdowns and stuff. So it's like essentially a metal band with breakdowns, like hardcore breakdowns. That, that to me, that's the main difference between metalcore and metallic hardcore. It's really a fine line, though. Yeah, to me, it's a it's more of a you know it when you hear it. Yeah, because I don't want to say it's like, oh, it's always Gothenburg riffs and, you know, it's always at the gates riffs and and breakdowns because like that's not accurate. There's definitely metalcore bands that didn't really do the the slaughter of the soul thing, you know, pretty early on that you would still call metalcore. There's just a certain it's a certain perceptible but not easily quantifiable ratio of metal to hardcore (laughs) occurring in the right quantities at the right times (laughs) like i feel like a metallic hardcore band is mostly a hardcore band like yeah most of the time it's a hardcore song there's maybe just like a metal riff in the song i feel like that's the best like narrowest definition i can give and then a metalcore band is kind of like anything more than that is when it becomes metalcore it's like if it's more than 50 percent hardcore then it's a metallic hardcore band like a like a metalcore vocalist might sound like a metal vocalist but a metallic hardcore vocalist never sounds like a a metal vocalist unless they sound (laughs) like a thrash vocalist but it's not crossover metallic (laughs) hardcore is not crossover um again you know the difference when you hear it a crossover band is probably more of a thrash band than it is a hardcore band yeah yeah well i wanted to look at like some of the other like around the same time period metalcore or metallic hardcore stuff going on i mentioned converge when forever comes calling we have botches american nervoso we have zeos where blood and fire Bring rest. I was kept thinking meat rest. I was like, it's not meat rest. <laughs> Bring rest. <laughs> let let your meat rest before you cut it. Yeah. But those I feel like are just more metal than our, uh, you know, our album, our secret album that we can't talk about until I say the magic words. Coalesce is functioning on impatience. You can't kill us all. Now see. Coalesce is a weird one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're a math core band. So mm-hmm. that's the big, the major caveat. But if you were to define Coalesce in the terms that I just did, probably a metallic hardcore band. Like if you take away the rhythmic stuff that defines Coalesce as a math core band, that's, that's a, that's a metallic hardcore band. That's primarily a hardcore band with a metal, with a little bit of a metal influence. Inside of the guitar playing. Yeah. Coalesce is always, it always feels funny to call metal, uh, to call Coalesce a metalcore band. Like they don't. Yeah. But if you think about it, mathcore is generally viewed as a metalcore genre. Yeah. Which is, which <laughs> is where the dissonance happens. I feel like with Coalesce. 
here's a little bit closer to what we're talking about today. Vision of Disorders imprint came out that year. All Out War for those who were crucified. All Out War being a New York hardcore band specifically, too. Agnostic Front, something's got to give. But Agnostic Front in 1998 is not <laughs> remotely, like, tapped into what's happening in, like, hardcore. I mean, well, so, like, the the whole metallic hardcore thing, like, is, meta- like, is metallic hardcore even really a genre, really a subgenre that's really... Not it really. makes sense to like actually classify because I don't like I know how you could use that descriptor if you're like differentiating the sounds, especially it's more useful past the 90s. I think it's more useful to be like oh, this is kind of more of a metallic hardcore band because I, most of the bands that were just hardcore bands from the 90s had a pretty sizable metal influence like hardcore just generally was in the Earth Crisis like. Mm-hmm. vain yeah earth crisis is your snap cases yeah yeah and uh, this band specifically i've just always more just viewed them as a hardcore band it was just when i was listening to it is when i was like there's a little bit more metal riffing on here than i remembered but let's get into it so 1998 we are talking about most precious blood by indecision band they're from brooklyn new york formed in 1993 released this album on exit records and then later repressed on closed casket records the person on this album is tom sheehan on vocals justin brennan on guitar rachel rosen credited as rachel Susanna, on guitar pat flim on drums and stephen bago on bass and the album was recorded by ron thal who they worked with on Unorthodox and later went on to join Guns N' Roses. Wow. <laughs> He's a later later Guns N' Roses member. So, yeah, Indecision formed. Uh, they were all like high school friends. Like everybody in the band, with the exception of Rachel, was like high school friends. And then they decided to start a band and they released Unorthodox. They make friends with Rachel because she hosted at, like a WNYU radio show. And... Justin started dating her at that time. And so she went on tour with the band for a while and then was eventually like made a member of the band, a second guitarist in the band. And yeah, they were just touring machines. Like they spent nine to 10 months of the year, year on the road. Like they just toured relentlessly. They became known for this band that would like go to places that other bands wouldn't go. Like they went, they are notably the first American band to play in Zagreb, Croatia, uh, which they had to be like they were going from Austria into Croatia and they were like 
stopped at the border and like strip searched and like their van literally taken apart before they were allowed to actually enter the country and play. And uh, Indecision is a band that's kind of known for their two distinct periods, the Tom Sheehan years and then the Artie Phil, Philly, Phil, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his last name, years with a lot of people being like the Tom stuff. That's the best stuff. And but then the other people are like, no, Artie stuff's good, too. You know, it's, it's just a different sounding band, different style of vocalist. So let's take it back. Where what is your introduction to Indecision? Uh, so my, I think my, my introduction to indecision is ultimately, uh, our friend, a good friend, uh, many years, Grant from Bitter Melody Records, who did the final repress, uh, and like basically the first, it's basically the first like properly mastered version of Unorthodox, uh, their debut record. Cause it was like, this, it was basically not mastered. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, the story is they basically just mixed it, didn't master it and then yeah. just put it out. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was like a huge labor, of, a labor of love because he's been a, you know, he's been a fan of that record of that band for a really long time and loved that record and always wanted it like done properly. It did put tons of work into it. They did amazing stuff to to do that. I mean, remastering it, uh, remastering the artwork, essentially, like they they had to use that sp- special camera that takes like an insanely high resolution picture of it right yeah yeah because the original art files were gone like they're yeah. just gone so they basically had to take the cd booklet or no i think there was an there was an earlier vinyl pressing i think yeah. too and then photographic in this like super high res camera that like basically is like a microscope camera to and, be able to uh, to be able to blow it up and retain quality you know mm-hmm. retain the details and not add green and distortion and stuff like that so really that was that was it you know it was kind of like concurrent with him working on that that repressing you know well lead it prior to that i guess we we had the most precious blood connection you know knowing of that band through him doing some work with them as well doing the first vinyl pressing of merciless yeah so and using the original artwork for that too that was not yeah. allowed to be used which is yeah. fun Around that same time period, there was the what was it the discourse demo? That was um yeah, it was a little after the unorthodox reissue, but yeah, yeah. not not too distantly after yeah, roughly the same time period, time era. So, so yeah, so, so my introduction to indecision was through some a little bit of a scene, uh, you know, people that had connections with each other and and just like a really good friend who was like a massive fan of of these two bands and decision and most precious blood so it was like my impression of indecision from being someone who was not into hardcore in the 90s because i was eight years old when this came out <laughs> yeah i think i had an impression that indecision was a bigger band than they were they're certainly like kind of a notorious band and they're recognized as being important for being like having members that went on to most precious blood which is a bigger band and a pretty well recognized band um i think i spent a lot of time thinking that indecision was like huge but i i get the impression now that they were not <laughs> they're they're a little bit obscure yeah. like this record uh, is pretty far back on the rate music charts for 98 yeah i'm kind of curious now just out of curiosity i want to see what let's say what indecision is doing monthly on spotify 
whoa, okay. Um, like just under 9,000 monthly listeners. Now I could see indecision fans just being like, cause I listen to my vinyl and my cassette and my CDs. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. We'll see what some similar artists are. They got to share art, similar artists with turmoil who has less. They have uh, just under 5,000. One King Down actually has about 10,000 monthly listeners. There is a connection there. Buried Alive, about 8,000. Disembodied has like 15,000. 108's got about 10,000. So I, maybe that's just the limits. Like Strife has 32,000, which I'd say Strife is bigger than any yeah. system. Well, I, I, I guess, I think they're probably like leveled off. Like a lot of those bands of their, you know, that they were associated with and from the scene that aren't like the huge bands that everybody names, like they're probably all kind of like plateaued as far as listeners go. Like they're not really going to gain a drastically large number of listeners. And I think a lot of those people are just overlap. I mean, they're the same listeners. I, I think that it's, it's more the intervening, like up to their legacy kind of getting more attention in recent years, especially with the repressed stuff. And, I think for a long time, though, and even even today, like I don't think I've never I just haven't come across that many bands that have cited them as an influence. I think that's where I I'm getting at with like what their impact was and what their significance is, is that I only really know discourse. And like, I feel like they kind of got name dropped a little bit around the time of discourse when that that style of hardcore was having a little bit of a moment. Where bands would would kind of throw indecision in there, but they'd maybe also throw most precious blood in there instead. Or um, found foundation was the one before discourse that was kind of like tagged as like the next the next indecision. Yeah, and foundation kind of also didn't do what everyone said that they would do. Yeah, they didn't really get. Well, I mean, I guess they broke up, right? Yeah, they broke up like but 2011, 13, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I guess there is that, like, how big was Indecision, really? Were they, would you classify them as a cult band? Or are they just, like, they were just, like, that next step down from, like, an Earth Crisis, you know? Yeah, they're probably in that next tier down under your Earth Crisis snap case. You know, like, the sick of it all, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, um, they're interesting. It's interesting because, like, I don't know, it, because they toured so much and they were, like I said, known for going to places that other bands wouldn't go. I wonder how much. So, like, all the people that we know who are super into indecision for the most part are North Carolina people. Like, North Carolina, South Carolina, like a lot of them. The, the Discord guys were discourse guys were pretty young, so I don't know if they even saw indecision back then. They would have had to, like, see them at the reunion stuff later. So it's a lot of like hardcore old heads who I think were like that we know that are really into them. So I wonder if it's a case of like because they toured so much. I know they played North Carolina a lot. Like they played around here a lot. Yeah. So maybe it's a case of like because they came here, so many people here are like, oh my God, indecision, amazing. You know, because like one of the big indecision shows was like the big, big like reunion shows was like an Atlanta show. Mm hmm. I think it was centered around Foundation too, but Foundation was an Atlanta band, and Discourse is was a South Carolina band. So maybe because they came down here so much, there's like I don't know, they meant a lot to the people who saw them because they came through so frequently. They were good. They were fucking awesome. 
and then New York being a New York band, like there's definitely that like New York stamp on them. Like they get the New York seal of approval. Interestingly, they were a Brooklyn band, which I thought was kind of unique. I don't know that a lot of the other bigger New York bands were necessarily Brooklyn people, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Like Earth Crisis and Snapcase were like upstate New York, you know, Buffalo. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know if. Yeah, maybe it's just a matter of they aren't technically like the biggest band, but because they came through all these places that they just have this. They mean a lot to so many more people because that is the one thing about indecision that I definitely I'm like, oh, this is a this is a get the lyrics tattooed on your body band. Like yeah. famously the uh, for those I love, I will sacrifice line. There are people who have that on their body that didn't know it was an indecision song, like the famous like soldier who had it like tattooed on his side. And like <laughs> the dude didn't even know that it was from, you know, indecision didn't know it was a thing. So like there's a lot of military people who have it who uh, know nothing about the band. Yeah, it's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's I think Indecision are a band. So maybe that puts them closer to a cult band because they mean so much to so many people. But maybe just like the greater hardcore audience, the younger people don't know them as well. They don't know them as well as like an Earth Crisis or a Sick of It All, you know? Yeah. They're, yeah, I would say that it's to me where Indecision ranks is probably more of an more of a cult level of of older fans who have followed them for a really long time because they were a band that connected very well with their audience mm-hmm. with the audiences that they built. They toured really aggressively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just made a really long lasting impression on those, those people. Um, and then there's the whole, you know, there's like, you get a whole member change thing mm-hmm. and, and related bands thing, uh, you know, follow up bands kind of story to, build off of to where they're a band you may have come across talked about but i don't i I guess i don't think of them as being the textbook textbook hardcore 90s hardcore band that i thought they were based on the people that we knew who were super into them yeah it was like moving away from those fans it was more like oh people haven't heard unorthodox people haven't really dug into indecision the way that i thought that they did yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. Yeah, yeah. What kind of connection they have to people in the under 30 crowd, you know, because now I think like most of the discourse guys are like 30 now <laughs> or close to it, if not. So even They're them being, probably a little over 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm very curious. They're unique too. Like that's definitely one thing about Indecision that I I really enjoyed. And I was gonna say my background is basically the same as yours. You know, being good friends with Grant and just like going through the process of him pressing the most precious blood and then pressing the Indecision record. 
So like that was my gateway into them. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm gonna check this band out and being like this band rules. Like they're just awesome. Like they're a really great band. And I understand the level of dedication that they have earned with in their fan base. And it's one of those things where I'm like, we need to be talking about them more in the grander scheme of like hardcore in general. Cause I just think that they're very special and unique. Their sound too. the band themselves all joked that they could like, they could play with a metal band one week and then play with a heart, like sick of it all the next week. Like they mm-hmm. just, they were able to bridge that gap between like the heavier metal stuff and the like just more traditional New York hardcore sounding stuff. And it's, they did a lot of really cool things. Like they're known for their covers. Like there's a Susie and the Banshees cover on here. We'll talk about that later. Uh, it's interesting what they did with that one. And like, they were interested in like, I think they've, there's other goth bands. I think they've done covers of too, like, or most precious blood would do some too. Like they both, both yeah. bands would do covers. And it's just like, that's unique too. Like it's hardcore bands doing goth band covers. Like that's kind of their thing. And it just makes them, it's another like layer that makes them so much more interesting. And they're like all really smart. <laughs> like I think uh, Justin Brandon's like us. He's a city councilman in New York city. Now Tom has, he does something with like the medical examiners in New York city. And I think Rachel lives in LA and she's like, does pathology or something like that. Like, it's just like <laughs> this, this group of just like all these people that just like, Oh, y'all did something completely. Like you didn't just work in restaurants and like, or stay in the arts, you know, as their like life going forward, which is, I thought was interesting. Or I guess like the other direction that a hardcore band goes and like, yeah, I work in a construction, you know, like that kind of <laughs> thing. Yeah, they don't come across as a New York hardcore band. They don't have that New York hardcore, uh, I was say stink on them, but <laughs> they're not a mad ball. They're not a sick of it all. They're not an agnostic front. Like the, like you can hear the New York accent in the way they just like sing and play their instruments. Like, yeah, that sounds like a, a big New York goon, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know the boroughs enough. I don't know what I guess maybe the um, the more stereotypically New York hardcore bands are probably from the rougher boroughs and Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn in the 90s was probably not like the safest place in the world, but, you know, it's definitely on its way to being the, you know, the hipster neighborhood. So, I mean, it is what what Brooklyn was and why there's a Brooklyn vegan. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, less less Bronx Queens like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's more more associated with like culture. Yeah, um, than just like survival. Yeah, is the reason why like all the comedians and musicians live in Brooklyn in yeah. New York now. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So yeah, Most Precious Blood was their second full length album. Most notably, it sounds a lot better than unorthodox production wise just like it it feel it it feels it feels more full i don't know why that was so hard to say and it's like so this is the thing that we were i was mentioning earlier about dylan you were like i don't know about talking about a hardcore record the hesitation on doing this album is because i don't necessarily know how good we are about talking about hardcore music because usually like the the main characteristics of hardcore music that people tend to talk about 
is man, this sick sound. This stuff sounds sick, man. It's just it's loud, it's good, and it's heavy, and it's like cool. It sounds cool, <laughs> and it hits hard. Like it's really hard to talk about hardcore music. Yeah, you, you know, you there's not a lot that you can say to describe the sound of a breakdown or a hardcore <laughs> riff or a hardcore vocalist. That being said, if we're describing indecision sonically, if we talk about this record, about how it sounds, about the guitar parts, about the vocals, like I will say the, these are some of my favorite sounds in hardcore from this time period. Yeah, I was going to say the way I think the best way to approach this album specifically is to really just talk about each individual part of the band. Not so much the like there are a couple songs we can specifically mention, um, which you will. But like it's hard. It's not one that you go song by song by song with. It's more of like, how does the overall guitar sound? How do the vocals sound overall? How does the bass sound overall? So like that's to me like the easiest way to actually talk about this album, at least specifically. We're, so we want to go from the top down or do you want to build it from the bottom up like we were mixing it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, I guess if you were mixing it, you uh, drums first, then bass, then guitar, then vocals. <laughs> you make sure your your rhythm section section is balanced. And yeah, I think we can discuss the rhythm section okay. together. I think they're they yeah. kind of walk up together. Steven Bago on bass and Pat Flynn on drums. So we have a voicemail that uh, I will be playing. I'll play it later, closer to the end of the episode. But when I I pitched the uh, the idea to him, his response was, "I love those cardboard drums." <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I don't think most precious blood is as bad as unorthodox is with the drumming. But there is a little bit of cardboard drum on here. Like I definitely am like, oh yeah, they still don't like they still don't have that drum sound figured out yet so i um you mentioned that this the one of the bigger notable things about this record is that it sounds better than ortho unorthodox mm -hmm. overall it doesn't sound that much better mm. the drums in particular sound pretty similar yeah you can just tell this one was mastered i think is really the primary <laughs> difference you're like oh yeah they did something to this one after the fact <laughs> yeah somebody Somebody got it and was like, oh, let's push some of the mid low mids up here a little bit. <laughs> really missing the low end. But they didn't they could only do so much. They didn't they didn't fully capture the low end in the recording. So you can't do much to bring it in. So while I think that the production on the drumming is not like the best, the playing, though, fucking incredible drumming like there are so many unique and interesting like fills and rolls and just these just really cool like grooves and rhythms that like Pat is locking into. And like he stay, you know, he doesn't just do typical like this is hardcore drumming. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you know, like just fast, typical, you know, straight ahead drumming. And he like you can really tell like, oh, this dude's like a genuinely great drummer. Like everything he's doing in here, I find so interesting to listen to and it's just one of those things where i'm like man i wish this sounded better like it just i wish it just sounded product produce better produced because like there's literally if you'd pay attention to what's happening with the drums there's always something interesting happening yeah i, I think that i do think that the biggest issue with how the drums sound is that it's they're just kind of thin and they're kind of that just kind of like flattens everything and it makes it 
to where you have to like really pay attention to what's happening. Mm-hmm. But they're not horrible. Like, yeah. And I think one of the best things about it is that that while it's not like the pla- the the platonic ideal of a snare sound, the snare pops. Like yeah. it cuts through constantly. It is always there. It's always strong. It's got a lot of presence, and that's one of the really it's got a good crack to it. It's almost there. Like it's so close to being a great snare sound that it that it's a pretty good snare sound. I mean, it is just a pretty good snare sound. Like you mm-hmm. can tell he's hitting it hard and consistently. Doesn't sound like it's having to be like compressed to keep it really level. It's like a it's a good. He has great dynamics. He has a great feel, and like that does come through in all of the drumming overall. It doesn't sound like it needed to be like fixed. Because uh, I, I don't think it could have been fixed. Like, if you listen to the way everything else is mixed, I don't think that they were in a situation where someone was like, you know, going to be able to do a lot of doctoring in the mix anyway. So it's it's lacking fullness, but it's generally performed so well that it really, yeah, it does make up for the engineering. Yeah. And then even like the bass work on this album is like really impressive. So like, Typically in hardcore, the bass usually just is just uh, following the root of whatever the guitar is doing. And historically, there's there's only a handful of like bass players in hardcore where you're like, whoa, listen to that. So like it's hard to be like a standout bass player in hardcore because that's not its role in hardcore. You need that bass to give the songs the punch because like just guitar without bass like you ever heard of that it sounds kind of thin it just doesn't it doesn't hit as hard you need that bass to really give that feeling of heaviness and hardcore needs a feeling of heaviness earlier hardcore like your 80s stuff like it wasn't about the heaviness then once you started introducing like way better recording technology and you know just the way that hardcore evolved in the 90s like it just hardcore just got much heavier and so, yeah, the bassist job is to just support what the guitar is doing and make it fill, you know, the record or, or the room. That being said, there are so many little interesting little bass parts on this record. He's not just root the entire time. He's like, I'm going to do like a groove here that's maybe going to behold like maybe some melody while like the guitar decides to go off and do like something different. Like it's not following. It's the guitar is not leading the song. The bass is leading this song. Yeah, the bass playing is really good. It it's one of my it's one of my favorite styles of bass playing in hardcore to where it is really consistent consistent rhythmically. It's it's locked in very well with the drums, like your you know, your typical bass kick drum pattern, you know, like keeping those things tight with each other. It's not just straight e chugs, like there's a little bit of complexity to the bass parts, but it's also not like the thing where I th- a lot of times in 90s hardcore, you had that bass player who was like too good. <laughs> it's not yeah. that kind of bass player to where he's like, you know, doing the the Jocko, <laughs> you know, like slippery, rubbery, like proggy bass parts. Like the bass is giving you some motion and especially it's doing such a good job of giving you that motion along with something else like like It'll be like a it'll be like a dual lead, like the guitar and the bass will kind of scale up together. Like it'll support the melody and kind of like move up in that in that scale along with the guitar. But it'll also do stuff to where it's like 
it's filling out the tom fills. So like it gives the, it does give the toms and the and the drums a little bit more fatness and fullness too by supporting those like low notes on the drums. And then other times it's just like when it needs to be that. Like it just needs to be that galloping kind of thrash kind of like steady consistent rhythm of being like a rhythm guitar part. Like it's it's good. It's it's really good, really well balanced bass playing. It's a, it's a it's exciting to listen to just the bass part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you could like focus like without being annoying and distracting. Yeah, like you yeah, like you said that weird like wom 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 style bass playing of like the early '90s that like all the hardcore bands had for some it's reason. Like, uh, they're <laughs> listening to Cynic. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's like you can't hear like the like the pick of it, like the <laughs> finger pick or the or the it's pick all, pick. It's yeah. just like the wom wom wom. <laughs> yeah, but by this point, like that style of bass playing had like. It was done. We were over that kind of bass playing in hardcore yeah. by 98. So Most of those those guys finally found a metal band that would let them. <laughs> yeah, let them noodle. Let's move up to the guitars. So Rachel, this is her first record with the band and her primary role in this, this group is to mainly be the rhythm. So she takes over the rhythm job because prior to this, it was a single guitar band. It was just a one guitar hardcore band. And so what this did was now Rachel's going to be locked in on the, like the rhythm and just like the basic skeleton of the song. Like she's going to drive that. This lets Justin play in a way that he hadn't been able to play before like he is doing some really cool stuff on here there are these just like these really fun riffs on this record that i don't know it, it's just this like it's where the metal i think comes in for this yeah. this record he's doing like just so many interesting things like um i'm trying to find it in my notes where the guitars start so they just well one they just sound huge the guitars are like the best recorded thing on the record like they were like let's make this sound good yeah the the biggest upgrade in recording from unorthodox to this is the guitars like they they're mic'd better they sound fuller it helps that there's two guitars yeah the guitars sound great and then there's so there's thing there's songs on this record where the guitar does things that they only do in that one song and they don't do it again so like uh, like in what culture there's this like hand hard panned right just like this high little guitar line that he's playing that they don't they don't touch that again there's this like harmonic sort of pinched off riff on false prophet preaching there are these super melodic leads on last beat of my heart like that song is just like super melodic yeah there's just like killer riffs all over this record and then rachel's groove just the, the groove on the whole record is just works so so well they 
it's a unique style of guitar playing because it's still distinctly hardcore, but it's definitely like let's do some let's do something like this. This is this is a little different, and maybe that comes from them just being more interested in other styles of music too. Like they weren't strictly just hardcore dudes only. You know, they were like I said, interested in goth music, and that goth music has interesting guitar work a lot of the time. So it's like trying to yeah. translate that into like hardcore. Yeah, your goth and post-punk like kind of rhythm. There's a little bit of that influence, and I mean, they talked about like Dead Guy was kind of an influence. So mm-hmm. that's like an interesting riff band. Um, you, can, you can see how that would be, have an impact. There's a yeah. So like the rhythm of the sense of rhythm of indecision is one of the things that I I think really separates them from a lot of New York hardcore. It doesn't get into it doesn't go into like a math core like beating you over the head with how oddly, you know, rhythmic it is. Like it's they're not doing weird time signatures or anything like that. This it seems like pretty straightforward time keeping and but the syncopation is there. Like there's a just they're just doing things that are cool and interesting to do with the chug pattern and with the rhythm. Like it's it's not the same you know, they don't yeah. have like two rhythms that they alternate between. Like they do different things on different songs. It's it's the kind of like songwriting that I can I can imagine going one of two ways. I can see like Justin coming into like practice and be like, hey, listen to this riff I came up with. And then they're like, OK, OK, I see what you're doing there. Like, let's do let's do this. Let's do this. You know, and him and Rachel being a couple together probably also helped their like guitar songwriting. But I think she even said they like to do they like to be separate when they're writing. So, yeah, I, I don't. So because you're trying to do different things. Cause she was in the band Millhouse also yeah. around this time period, which was a very, very different sounding band. Also cool, but just very different. Not like the type of hardcore that Indecision was. And so like he's probably like, all right, writing riffs at home and then bringing them. And then everybody's like, that's that's pretty cool. Like, that's a really cool idea. I really like that. But I could also see it going the other way where they're just like, wait, do that again. Like in 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 there, just like kind of jamming and then being like, no, no, no. What you just did before. OK, yeah, do that. Do that a couple of times loop that through and then just and then like the rhythm figuring out what they want to do and then the drummer being like okay let me what's the time on that okay let me figure that out you know like it's just like that's how i imagine them writing songs i don't know maybe he was like here's the fully fleshed song here we're all gonna learn it this way you know yeah i don't know whatever their approach was but yeah i like the i can picture this style being more collaborative and just like that's cool oh no no do this do this no and what if you just went like a ting Yeah, there's a lot of I guess there's a lot of like conversation that may have happened in writing the riffs in whether it's like internal, like when they're writing the riffs individually or writing the riffs together of just being like, what's happening on the and here? Like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of thought to what's happening between the beat. Uh, And I guess then the final piece to the whole thing that makes indecision indecision is the vocals by Tom Sheehan, who does a style of hardcore vocal that I cannot imitate, which then makes it sound like magic to me. Like, how does someone do vocals like this? I'm trying to think of what it what it sounds like. What what is the comparison to make? Because it's not just a normal yell. No, it's not like a screamo scream either. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not a shriek. It's not a growl. It's definitely nothing like metal sounding. Right. It falls closer to the yelling category, but it's like yelling with like an affectation or like a like a 
I can't I can't do it either. Like I've never been able to like replicate that style of vocal. It's probably closer to what I would do if I were trying to do hardcore vocals now. now? I, I I understand technically what he's doing. To me, it sounds like I I never remember the correct word. If it's abducted or adducted, abducted would mean separated, right? Think that abduction versus adduction. <laughs> yeah, abduction. Yeah, so the it's abducted vocal cords. Essentially, what it, I think it's like an open throat. Essentially, is what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He he has he's got a low larynx. He's doing. I mean, abductions generally not. Too much is not great either, but I mean, really, you shouldn't be doing trying to move your vocal cords at all. But not to get too technical, yeah, it's it it to me, it just sounds like the most like open head, open throat scream you can do, but with a lot of airflow. Like he's just pushing like <laughs> a normal yelling hardcore vocalist does, but without the tight constriction that you usually get to where people are just like. You know, your larynx jumps up and you're like, eh, you want to you want to force that grit to happen. Any grit that's happening here is just through sheer volume, uh, I think, through the vocal cords. And they're just kind of like flapping like yeah. it, 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 it's wide open. Still doesn't probably doesn't feel great, but yeah. Yeah, it's such a unique. Maybe not style. as I think the closest thing I think like the closest thing to compare it to is like like Pat from self-defense and drug church has like the the softer version of it. Yeah. The gritless version. (laughs) It's less, he's pushing less. It's just, yeah, I wonder, I've never looked up any interviews with Tom, but I wonder what his talking voice sounds like. And if you could hear the talking voice versus what the singing voice, Hey, Hey, sounds like if it makes more sense, like you can hear the connection. Like I've heard Pat talk so much that I'm like, yeah, it's just his voice louder. He's just yelling. Yeah. So maybe what Tom is doing is just like taking what he does and just maybe adding a little more grit to it, but that's it. Or just and yelling it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's very, I, I'm always like, you destroy your vocal cords to do this kind of vocal style. And maybe he does, but he's been in multiple bands too. So like clearly it works. It sounds like, oh, um, this is probably one of the better comparisons I can make. It sounds like the vocals in Yafat Kodo. Yeah. So yeah. It's kind of like a hoarseness mm-hmm. is mostly what it sounds like. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's high. It's high register. It's, it's pretty far up there. But it's, yeah, it's not choked. It's not constricted. It's yeah. it's pretty wide open. Very interesting. I think it sounds really cool. I mean, yeah. I, I don't, it's different. I, it's kind of a sound that I'm surprised horror vocalists don't have. And yeah, maybe it is more like Pat where they're just like, maybe that's just kind of naturally where what his voice sounds like he might have kind of a breathy talking voice or just kind of a yeah. i know he's done podcasts i guess i could have looked that up myself but you know i didn't think about that before but yeah very very cool vocal style that like again it's not that common it's not there are vocalists who have a really high yell scream type thing but not not a ton especially in this style of hardcore too um musically the just like song wise there are a couple like Every single song on this album, I went with like 3.75 or higher and most 4.0 and higher. So like I have a lot of like just like really standout songs like the time this time tomorrow. I really liked falling in love is like setting yourself on fire and hoping you won't get burned. Great song title, emo song title there. And then like the the title track, Most Precious Blood, which kind of became like a standout song for them. 
Last Beat of My Heart, which that is that our is that our um that's our um Susie cover, right? Yes. Okay, I didn't realize that was the Susie song. So that makes sense. It's so melodic. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing. It's just lyrics by Susie and the Banshees. Uh. Huh. Because I was like, what song is this? So I went and listened to the Susie song, and it's like this shimmery, like she Susie's doing all the work song. It's just like there's not a there's not a of a guitar lead. There's not like a me- guitar melody or anything. It's just this kind of like noisy shimmery kind of track that's like. Oh, they just like took the lyrics and wrote a song under it. Because it's not it doesn't even feel like a full song. It doesn't feel like a a true song in the sense that like the instruments are doing like all this like traditional songwriting. It's just more of like it's got a it's more like a soundscape behind her singing. And so then they wrote an actual like song guitar wise you know they wrote a hardcore song and then just took those lyrics and put it over top of it so there's not even like a melody even the vocal melody that he's doing isn't isn't the the melody of that song it's a very unique way to do like yeah we covered the song it's really like no you just like repurposed a song it's not i wouldn't call it a cover really and more of they just took the lyrics and were like let's write this behind it but i guess because it was a Susie song they were like well, we got to have a little bit more melody to it. It's like a, got a really cool mel- melodic guitar part to it, which is really awesome. And then I think Crucifix Escapist rules. It's like a major key song, too. It's like to me, that almost seems like a cover, but it's not. It's just like this really it's got a really cool guitar part to it as well. And it's just like one of the more melodic moments on the album. Yeah, it's interesting that the last beat in my heart, like there's that lead, the melodic lead guitar part that's like you would think would be a melody from the song that they took, but it really isn't from no. the original. Like the original is all just do, 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 do. Yeah, it's very synthy kind of motionless. Like it doesn't, there's not really a strong m- melody that happens anywhere in the music. And it's not even her vocal melody. Yeah. It's not even the same melody. Yeah. That's, that was the part I was like, I don't recognize. We did a discography dive on Susie the Banshees and I was like, doesn't sound like anything which and that's from peep show which is yeah kind of mid late which i think is a good album very underrated album i love the x-files sample in the false prophet preaching (laughs) which also has like the latin drums and like whistle and flute like intro to it too (laughs) the sepultura yeah 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 i think the weakest track on here is slave because it has it starts like a sample what's the sample I can't remember. It sounds like it's from like a gangster movie or something. And it it's a very bass forward track, but it's also kind of short and kind of forgettable. And I think it's cut from the the reissue, the vinyl reissue. I don't think they put that on there. They put like a uh, some of the Shy Halud split songs on there instead, which I'm, maybe they're just like, eh, we don't really like it. It's called Slave. Maybe let's just cut it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what that sample is from. Yeah, What does he say in it? It's something like... Uh, Something about work or something like that. I can't remember. You call that? Uh, I don't remember what it is from now. (laughs) Bottom line, a businessman talks like that. What kind of, what the hell kind of word is that? Yeah. (laughs) The bottom line is that we, bottom line, bottom line, that's weasel words. My God, a businessman talks like that. Uh, Yeah, seems like it's from like a gangster movie or something. Um, compared to Unorthodox. Oh, oh, is it a, um. Oh, go ahead. 
think I might have found Is this a bottom line, that's weasel words, a businessman talks like that, what the hell kind of word is that? <laughs> is, is this caption, and I can't, it's on CSWAP.com, and it's the it's called, they're talking about, the, it starts with the bottom line is John Gotti. It's a flagrant violation. John Gotti should fucking die. So is this like a, it might actually just be like a, a clip of, like a tape of someone talking. Like, I wonder if it's from like a wire. There's like a TV movie called Gotti from 1996, too. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what this what this website is, why it has this like. Gotti. Okay. Yeah. So it's the HBO 1996 movie <laughs> with starring Armand Asante as the famous John Gotti. <laughs> Armand Asante. So that's the that's the clip that it's from. Yeah. So uh, unorthodox is the kind of uh, the classic indecision record. And I think that I think most people would agree that's probably their best record. But this one's like really close. This is like really close behind it. I think adding the second guitar really makes it special and unique. And the production is so much better, too, that it just is like, yeah, I don't know. I would have to like do a back to back to figure out which one I actually like better. I kind of did that. So I finished listening to this record today. And I put on Unorthodox after, and I didn't get to finish Unorthodox, but I listened to most of it. Most Pleasures Blood is probably a better record. That's, like, I think it's a hot take. I know, and I know it is, and I, and I know what it is. Like I think it's, I think it's the addition of a second guitarist does so much for them. It allows them to do so many other interesting things with the guitar. I think that's a huge improvement for them. I think the guitars are a little less interesting on Unorthodox because he's having to carry the rhythm pretty much entirely and it sounds better uh the vocals are more present and clear and i mean i think everything is just mixed better it all it all sits together better it's clearly mastered but i i I think that there are if i look at the track listing of unorthodox and i look at the track listing of most precious blood like i think there are probably more standout songs i mean unorthodox has blindfold it has shadow boxing it has purgatory like how it be thy name lies like there's standout stuff there but there's standout i don't know i think that the difference in what makes unorthodox like the one and the one that most people regard so well is that it is the first one and it is really really good like it's the first album a killer record, despite how it doesn't sound very good. That being said, the remaster, if if you've never heard the remaster and you only know the original version, <laughs> it's night and day. They yeah. like did so much to make that record sound so good that that's a miracle that, that record sounds as good as it does in the remastering, you know, night and day difference. But uh, yeah, which is the Spotify version. I think there's two there's a digital mix and a vinyl mix. They I think it's one of the records where it's like the digital mix just you couldn't cut it the same way. So you had to like I think they're technically two separate mixes Um, or mastering mastering for vinyl is slightly different from the mastering of digital. The digital is like this is the best we could possibly do. Who knows what Spotify does to it whenever you do it through their weird filtering system unorthodox is the one and i understand why it is like but i don't know i don't know i think if pressed i would i might reach for this record more well we 
have something special. So I reached out and I was like, I don't I know a couple people who are really into this band. So I reached out and I got a response. So I reached out to Grant, who runs Bitter Melody Records, and I asked him if there's anything that he would like to say about the record, record, send our way, or like me to re- want me to read. So uh, he recorded something, and then he sent it over to me. So we're going to play what Grant has to say about this album. It's hard to be objective about an album that you've loved for 25 years, but as objective as I can be, I think Indecision, Most Precious Blood is... Uh, still an amazing album i think it's one of i mean it's definitely one of my top hardcore records of all time i think for me personally i have a little bit stronger of a connection to unorthodox and that could be a number of reasons including me re-releasing it but most precious blood is still one of my favorite records of all time um hardcore or not and i think you know, looking at it objectively, I think definitely they expanded their sound with Most Precious Blood. They, you know, really kind of add filled out their sound. You know, Rachel joined the band, and I think that really helped round out their sound. And they knew a lot more about the recording process at that point, so the recording is definitely stronger than Unorthodox's original recording. And... um you know, when you look at the track listing, when you think about those like classic indecision songs, there's just as many, if not more, of those classic indecision songs on Most Precious Blood than on Orthodox. So I think, you know, it's an amazing record. And I think, you know, those two records coupled together, I mean, establish their legacy right there because, I mean, to put out two near perfect records back to back like that uh, is, is something that most people don't do there's definitely i don't feel like a sophomore slump here if anything like it's better so they really you know expanded on that sound that they laid out on unorthodox and you know one of the things that i always appreciated about indecision um you know i was getting into them when i was 16 years old and so you know i was born in 82 and you know i knew a little bit about some music that wasn't you know but indecision really helped kind of open my eyes to a lot more music you know if you look at like the on most precious blood they cover Susie and the banshees and so you know i love a lot of 80s goth and 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 synth pop type stuff and i think indecision really kind of helped you know usher me into some of that you know they covered the cure on another release and those are bands that i weren't wasn't all that familiar with until you know, I listened to Indecision cover Just Like Heaven, and I listened to Indecision cover uh, Susie and the Banshees. And so, you know, I it, this was all pre-internet. So it got me to, you know, finding those UCDs and, and listening to those bands, which, you know, The Cure's one of my favorite bands. I love Susie and the Banshees. I, and, and Indecision really kind of helped usher me into a lot of music not just hardcore music you know you always read like the, their thank you lists and look at their t-shirts back then pre-internet to see like other bands that you would want to listen to but and they definitely helped with that too but uh they ushered me into whole other genres of music that i wasn't all that familiar with you know they even even in most precious blood they uh uh threw in like a uh, Sisters of Mercy sample in there. So they really kind of opened my eyes to a lot of other types of music, which, you know, I love just as much as I do hardcore. 
and I love all the indecision that came after this too, but I really don't think that you can top these two records back to back. Unorthodox, Most Precious Blood are about as perfect of a combo as you can get. And when you look at the imagery of these albums too, um, especially Most Precious Blood, you got the stack of burning Bibles. You know, this definitely resounded with me at the time that I found these records because I was 15, 16 getting into these. I was pretty bitter over, you know, the, my religious uh, past because I was brought up kind of in a Southern Baptist environment, which, you know, I had completely, you know, done a 180 on and I uh, saw how messed up everything was that I'd been taught and told for so many years. And Indecision, of course, was coming from a similar place, but with Catholicism. And so these records, like, it resounded with me. The album cover alone was something that I was definitely going to pick up because it was right up my alley based on my experiences with religion. And so, yeah, it, it definitely clicked with me. So, yeah, I guess that's my take on Most Precious Blood by Indecision. I think it's, you know, definitely one of my top hardcore albums of all time. And, you know, of course, Indecision is one of my favorite bands, so you can take that with a grain of salt. And also, I know of another person who really likes Indecision, and so then I reached out to him, and I was like, hey, what do you think about that? And uh, he decided to call and leave us a little message. Hey, this message is for the uh, Punk Lotto podcast, guys. How you doing? This is Brian. This is Joey Three Toes' cousin. He told me to give you a call. Um... He's doing a little bit of time. He's uh, gotten some rough and tumble scuffles. He may be gone for the next, you know, two to four years. Well, you know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, he told me to listen to this Indecision album and, uh, you know, give it a review, tell you what I think about it. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a Seals and Cross, Little River Band kind of fan myself. But I'll tell you, there's something to it. I could see why uh, my cousin's so violent here, though. You know, I listen to it, and I'm, like, all jammed up, and, you know, I don't know what to do with myself. My body starts quaking, and so, but, you know, good thing I was listening to it, because I come home, my wife, you know, she's a big fan of the cheese curds, you know, so I tell her, I'm like, pumpkin poo, you can only eat two or three at a time. She puts the whole dang bag in her mouth. So I come home, she's as purple as Grimace. Luckily, I'm listening to your hardcore this and that or the other. I'm all ramped up from it. I was able to give her the Heimlich. I gave her a one-two to the abdomen. Boom, they come out. I save her life. Next thing you know, we're back to watching Beretta reruns and, uh, you know, having a little more cheese curds. So, okay, guys, I hope you have a nice show. hope you have a nice rest of the week. And uh, we'll speak to you soon, okay? You betcha. Okay, bye-bye. So, yeah, I put the call out to old Johnny Three Toes, and, uh, yeah, turns out he's put away for a couple years. So, uh, thankfully, Brian was able to fill in and uh, let us know what he thought. I, he's not even the target audience for this kind of thing. So, you know, it's uh, it, it speaks to uh, how good the record is that even even old Brian liked it. We, uh, despite our differences with Johnny uh, in the past, uh, stay safe in there and... Um, you know, hopefully uh, on good behavior. You'll I mean, you, a little early. You know, Johnny. Yeah, uh, good behavior isn't really his strong suit. In that case, uh, watch your back. 
if you need any help uh, with your canteen, uh, let us know. Maybe we'll send a couple bucks that way. But I think that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Brian, Grant. Thank you for the messages. And yeah, I think we'll wrap things up here. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow us on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, threads. Oh, I called it Twitter. It's not Twitter anymore. Follow us on X uh, at Twitter.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. X.com. Threads. Um, if anybody's got a Blue Sky invite they want to send us, we'll gladly take it. Yeah, we'll try I know it. a couple people have gotten it. Oh, we're getting closer. I know a couple people. But threads is worthless. It, if Blue Sky doesn't, if it doesn't have the same exact functionality as Twitter, we're we're not going to get away from Twitter. I mean, I just, it, it's not threads. Yeah. <laughs> we all those have fun. I mean, all of this indecision talk, we've completely, uh, you know, overlooked the the arty. Um, yeah. And the whole fact that to live and die in New York City came out in '98 as well. Um, yeah. So like, I don't. What is this? What what is that record? <laughs> it's I the Artie record, right? It's an Artie record, but I, I think it was supposed to be a Tom record that they then recorded. Or is it just Tom's songs recorded with Artie on vocals? Is that well, what it is? It's Hello Cruel World, Purgatory, Most Precious Blood, To Live and Die in New York City, Shadowboxing. We've had this conversation before. Uh, hopefully this can put it to rest. I'm just going to go listen to it. <laughs> and we're going to live react to <laughs> live and die yeah so it's just they took a bunch of those songs they took songs from the first two albums and recorded them with Artie. purgatory must versus blood shadow boxing crucifix escaping dead hallowed be thy name like dead might be a new one unless it's an old one from like an ep some of those songs might be uh it doesn't sound very good either <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like a demo seems like maybe they just wanted to record it really fast with their new vocalist it is listed as coming out between unorthodox and most precious blood so i don't understand what the story is on that someone who knows please explain it maybe we should ask grant <laughs> <laughs> and then i guess we could also mention that indecision wound up breaking up after release the cure and then tom rejoined justin and rachel in the band most precious blood uh, but don't worry, he quit after the first record there, too. Yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So the, the story goes on past Most Precious Blood. But yeah, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Hit up patreon.com slash punklottopod. Social media is punklottopod. Email punklottopod at Gmail and our voicemail line 202-688-PUNK. Let us know what you think. Give us a rating. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 4.9 on Spotify Podcasts. Uh, out of like 14 ratings versus our 3.8 on <laughs> Apple Podcasts because those dorks who didn't get the premise of the show. But give us a rating over there too while you're at it. So thank you everyone, and we will talk to you later. To order Punk, call the number on your screen. Rush delivery is available. Remember, this special offer is not sold in stores.